Corinth is where the book was written to. Written by Paul and Sososthenes, the intention was to encourage as well as to admonish the Christian church there in the city of Corinth. It was 1960-some-odd years ago that Paul would take quill to paper or, or however he did it, and he would write these words. And he and Sososthenes would, would put together what Corinth needed to hear about how to remain faithful in the faith of Jesus Christ so that what they were doing was an accurate lifestyle, an accurate message to the rest of the city around them. The way that Corinth was, the city, the culture, so incredibly similar to today that during the course of our study, we'll frequently refer to it as as first Americans, that what defined the people there in that ancient Corinthian Roman city was so similar to the United States culture and way of doing things today that we can really and honestly say that what was is what is. We can honestly look at it and say the message that was written to them can be taken out of their culture and dropped directly into ours. And it's the same message, the same consistent truth of God for them and for us. And when we read it as the Corinthians did, what we're hearing is this is the timeless, transcendent message of God. The point to them is the point to you. And so each and every word should be read as if it is God's revelation for us today. So Corinthians, Americans, yes, this is God's message to us. A beautiful thing about the scriptures is that the scripture is God's revelation of himself to humanity. And that what we'll be reading from during during our study in Corinthians is the New Testament. But the New Testament is there to shed light on and to explain and to illuminate the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, in the same way, brings light to and understanding and illumination to the new. And together they make up God's revelation of himself to us today, as relevant then as it is in this very moment. And any part of this Bible is at all times the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. It is God's love for people. That God, who in the very beginning used his words in Ruah, spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. And when he did it, he created that first day. He said, let there be light. And as he did it, all of the laws of physics, all of the mathematics, all the things that sustain the planets and life as we know it, all of it came into existence because the very word of God became the fingerprint of God. And today we can look back and we can see through science and research how all of existence is part of an orderly plan that points to God. And that revelation of God continues through the creation of heavens and of earth and of animals and, and all the things we can look at scientifically in our scientific method today. It all points to God. And, in, and it would be sufficient if we just had that. Romans tells us that, that everyone is without rescue, excuse because what can be known of God is seen around us. As we look around, we realize this could only come into being by the plan of a creator and a designer and a God who put it all into place for us. This cannot be a divine accident. It's divine purpose and plan and intent and structure. And as we, as we come to love that God, we want to know more about him. And as it turns out, that God will speak. 
And as that God speaks, you get to hear his words through the accent of the writers that he chose. And the very words that they put down are, are God-inspired and God-breathed. So we can hear what God would have us know about himself from Moses and the prophets, from, from, from Isaiah all the way through to Malachi. And then again, as Jesus comes to be with us, God's word becomes flesh and dwells among us. In the beginning, there was the word, and the word would now become flesh. And so we can hear not only the prophet speaking of God. Now we can hear God's words in his flesh through Jesus. That's what the Holy Scriptures are bringing us. And so as we come to Corinthians, here's what we've got to understand. God wants us to know something about himself and about his plan for humanity. That's what Paul and Sosthenes were writing to the church in Corinth. God's words. They are the very breathed words of the Lord to his people. And as those words found their way to paper and they were delivered by Sosthenes there to the church in Corinth, it is Scripture, God's Word to that church. That is what we're engaging when we begin to study 1 Corinthians. Now, the neat thing for us, we're not in a hurry to work through Corinthians. We can take as much time as it needs in our church, and we're going to do that verse by verse, word by word, sometimes punctuation by punctuation to find out what is it that Paul and Sosthenes were communicating to the church in Corinth on behalf of God that we in the United States of America, 21st century Door County, Sturgeon Bay at this church need to hear right now. And I want you to hear over and over and over again that what was is what is. Hear the words of the Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. He had come to the end of his life and what, what he came to realize it was it's vanity. Vanity. All of it is vanity. All the things we build and we possess and all the wisdom we think we have, it's nothing new. It's just like it used to be societies rise and they fall cultures come and they go kingdoms and kings and economies come and they go nations and flags will arise and they will fall and through it all the word of god remains the same it transcends every one of those cultures so when you and i come to the scripture what we are seeing is what was and what is god's revelation of himself to humanity when we make application and we kind of tongue-in-cheek say first Americans, what we're saying is what was true for them is true for us today. And here's what we won't do. We won't approach the Scripture and say really ignorant and silly things. You've never done this, but other people have. And they've said, well, that was their culture in their time. That doesn't really apply to us today. You know, <laughs> we're so much more sophisticated than those silly people. They didn't even have iPhones. Yet what was is what is. And the transcendent church is built upon the teachings of Jesus, the revelation of God in his word, which was and is and is to come. That's the culturally transcendent message for the culturally transcendent church. That's what we'll be studying. Now let me say one more thing that's important to you as we get into our study here. And it's this. There is nothing wrong with smartphones. They're great. They're phenomenal. There's nothing wrong with your tablets and your e-devices with your scripture on it. What I'm going to challenge you to do, though, I want you to put those aside during the study, and I want you to bring your actual Bible. Can you do that? Can we be retro and ask you to do that? Let me, let me tell you why. 
There is something special about interacting with the words on the page. You can make a little note here and there. And, and years later, here's what's going to happen. Years later, Sheila's going to go pick up her Bible, and she's going to flip over, and she's going to see a passage and go, oh, man, I remember when we were studying that, and I realized how outrageously important the semicolon is in 1 Corinthians 1.9. It actually matters that it's there. And, you know, you can't make that note on your e-device and look at it five years later and, and come back and see it. You can't hand that down to your kids later and say, this, is, this was mom's Bible. And 40 years ago, when we were studying this, let me tell you why the semicolon was so crucial. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's, that, that's old truth that became new again. Listen, what is very old it's going to become new again in our church as we read through Corinthians and study through Corinthians. I would encourage you, do it with the physical word you can interact with and flip back and forth and check it and make a note and be reminded later and go to your life group and say, as we were talking today, I underlined this because it just it leapt off the page and I can't let it go. It's like the Holy Spirit just reminded me over and over and over the importance where he says grace and peace to you from God our Father. Why did Paul drive those words home to the Corinthian church? Grace and peace? Why was he saying that to us? Why does that precede the message that is to come? And why is it that when we as Christians enter into an engagement, we may need to correct or challenge or admonish somebody, we do so with grace and peace, and we can see that's how Paul and Sosthenes did it, and that's what matters. You see, having it in your hand means you can interact with it later. That's why I want to challenge you to do it. So the other thing that would be kind of germane at this moment is that we use at our church the Christian Standard Bible. Let me, let me say a couple things here. Um, that is not to, to um, uh, criticize or demean any other translation. In my office, I have, I think at last count, about 42 translations that I keep and use and work back and forth through. Some I love more than others. And I absolutely adore the Geneva Bible. I love the Geneva. For me, that's the, the Bible that I really came to understand my faith in. And so when I go back to the Geneva, it's just like, it's, it's warm. I love it. For others of you, that's how the NIV will feel. And for others, even the King James will feel like that in the rich, gorgeous language of that authorized. King James is beautiful. However, the Gospel Coalition, which is kind of the denominational group we are a part of, as well as the studies that our children do downstairs in Kid Zone, they all use the Christian Standard Bible. That's the translation they use. You see a couple things about the Christian Standard. It is spectacular scholarship. When the King James and the Geneva were translated from, uh, from the Septuagint and, and from the Greek, and the, the scholars did a wonderful and an inspired job. It's been several hundred years since that was done. In that time, linguistic and anthropological and religious studies have helped us translate with better clarity what was said in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. Archaeological findings and understandings have helped illuminate some of the way 
a sentence ought to be transferred from those languages into our own. We also have a whole lot better understanding of the way different passages of Scripture fit together within the context of the ancient world, and newer translations are able to draw upon that. And the Holman Christian Bible is probably at the apex of that kind of scholarship. Along with the ESV and the New Living, they represent an opportunity for us to be able to read the Scripture the way it would have been heard to the people in its original language. That's why we use the CSB. I don't want you to think I'm dishing on any other translations. It's just that that's the one we're going to be using for a long time here. And if you're going to buy a Bible, they're not terribly expensive, by the way, uh, to go through Corinthians in our next studies, probably in Genesis here, um, I would encourage you, go grab a CSB, get on Amazon, get you one. Um, They are fantastic, and it's what we'll be using. Okay, everybody with me so far? We're going to be using physical Bibles, and it's going to be helpful. So what I want to do as we get started today, I want, to do, I want to do this. I want you to hear this. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is not merely an historic document exposing issues of the developing Christian faith in the city of Corinth or, or its social implications for the ancient dwellers there. This is Scripture designed to speak to us and for God. The message is transcendent even as the church itself is transcendent. What we'll hear are going to be God's words to us. We're going to situate ourselves in front of that scripture. And as we, we were at a pastor's conference this past week, and they spoke about being under the word of God at all times, never supposing ourselves to be better than or, or on top of or, or superior to, but always under God's teaching so that at every moment what we're hearing is, is God's words coming through into us. And culture is filtered through this Bible. So the American or whatever the culture may be you're coming from, it hits the Bible and what's truth will continue through what is wrong will be filtered out, kind of like that water filter at your house, right? The junk doesn't make its way through. Never ever is it the other way around where we put the Bible and we take our culture and we walk over the scriptures. No, no, no. The scripture always filters culture, okay? So what's true then is true now. Now that's what we call a setup at this point. I've set up what we're going to do and some of the way we're going to engage it. So now let's go directly to the Word of God and let's hear again what Paul had read a little while ago um, about what was and what is Paul's words from, uh, from he and Sosthenes to the church in Corinth. If you don't have a scripture with you, I just want you to, at this moment, just close your eyes and listen. I know you're going to be tempted to look around. I'm not going to put them on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in front of you or your e-device open in front of you, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to listen to Paul and Sosthenes' words to the church in Corinth. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. These words of Paul were written to that church to engage them both in correction and encouragement. So a word about studying the scriptures. When we sit down as Americans to study the scriptures in the 21st century, we have available to us more resources than has ever been available to humanity at any time in history. Understand that today you have the power through web resources and commentarians and libraries and research tools to be able to unpack more of the wisdom of the ages than anybody has ever had. But there are some things about the scriptures we have to understand above all else. And some of those things are found both in Romans and 2 Timothy. So I want you to hear, see these words from 2 Timothy. This is uh, 2 Tim 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As Paul is writing that to young pastor Timothy, what he's saying is, son, the scripture is sufficient for you. What needs to be known of God is there. You do not need to take Scripture along with cultural wisdom to find God. Cultural wisdom is found within the Scripture, and if it's not, then that cultural wisdom is false. All that you need to know and understand about God, His plan for you, His desire for you, His call on you, is found in the Scriptures. And that Scriptures, brothers, sisters, boys and girls, friends and neighbors, begins with Genesis and ends with Revelation. If it's new, it isn't true. If it came after Revelation, it's not the revelation of God, it's the revelation of man. And if it's in that Bible and it's being tossed out because it doesn't fit with culture that you're living in, you can be sure that what you've thrown out is the Word of God, and what you're replacing it with is false. The Word of God is complete, it's inspired by God, and it's profitable for those things that are part of Christian discipleship, which includes teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And so for the church in Corinth, you're going to see all of those in spades. Paul and Sosthenes are going to correct some things the Corinthians have gotten wrong. He's actually going to rebuke them, which is, you're wrong. I'm telling you you're wrong, and here's how you're wrong. And that's going to happen. How many of you love getting rebuked? Isn't that the best feeling? Don't you just love? But Paul has to do that. And Sosthenes brings these words to Corinth to go, I love you. I'm one of you. But you got to pay attention to what Scripture has to say because these are God's words with Paul's accent. Got it? That's how we approach it. In Romans, uh, as I was telling you just a minute ago, there is this passage, Romans 8. Uh, And in Romans 8, verse 16 in particular, um, there's going to be something really profound that we need to make sure we keep in the front of our minds as we go through the book of Corinthians. Now, I just want you to listen to this passage. There's a a woven theme that's going to come through this passage that makes its way into what we're doing as we study Corinthians. And part of that theme is this, you are called... Okay, Because you were known before you were born, and God called you, and He set you aside for a specific purpose. And because He's done so, you will be conformed to that image of God, because that's the plan He has for you. 
This is part of that message that within you is the Spirit of God yearning to come forth in your behavior and your actions. It is the well deep within you that wants to bubble over with the fruit of the Spirit and the behavior of the Christian life. It is, it is this, as Paul refers to as the fragrance of the gospel that is just going to waft from you if you live according to what the Spirit's called you to do so that people who interact with you interact with the Spirit of God in action. Hear Paul's words to the Romans. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, Pause. Uh, Hear me say culture. Okay, let me say that one more time. Uh, So now, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the culture, to live according to the culture. Because if you live according to the culture, you are going to die in the culture. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the culture, you will live abundantly. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's children. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear or culture. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, you are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Not only that, but we ourselves also have the Spirit as the first fruits. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. So what do we say about this? If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's this message Paul tells the Romans, and by virtue of that, to the Corinthians. And listen, by very nature of it, to you and me today. So as we're hearing in First Americans, this is Paul's message by God to you. The Scripture tells you, inside of you dwells the Holy Spirit. You are heirs with Jesus to God, who knew you before you were born, called you, justified you, has trained you, and will glorify you. And all the things that happen around you are working together so that you may be the way God has called you to be, conformed to the image of Jesus. So to Corinth and to Jesus, from from Jesus to Corinth and to America, comes this message, what was is what is. The message to Corinth is the message to us. It's not a cultural message. It's a transcendent message for a transcendent church. That's you. It's to you. Paul and Sosthenes are writing to us right now. And while some of these things need for us to understand it in in its culture and bring it into ours, what is that underlying message and truth we need to hear today? That's the work we're going to do. But what we understand is that it is Scripture, and all Scripture is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in the right way. So that as he was telling this young pastor, this young man who was going to be the pastor, he's also saying to you, so that you, the co-heirs in Jesus will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are we in? Okay, before I go any further, uh, I'll put this slide up that I'm going to say this. 
Sturgeon Bay Community Church is a bit of an interactive church, okay? We're unique in this, and we like this, but let me tell you what it means. It means from time to time, you're going to want to say, that's it, or way to go, or amen, if you're one of my Baptist brothers and sisters. That's going to want to come out of your mouth. When something is good, you can go, yeah, or that's it, amen. You can say that, all right? Now, here's what it does. It does something for you, and it does something for me. It gives me a giant boost to know that I'm on track. (laughs) But what it does for you is it gets you the opportunity to go, I affirm, I'm in. That's us too. When the Scripture's being taught and the Word's being proclaimed and it's right, the right response of the people of God is right on. Amen. Yeah. I want us to get a little more interactive with it, especially during this book of Corinthians. Because when we say some things that are going to hurt, that are really hard to hear, we need to go, amen. I don't like it, but you're right. You know, we need to interact. And then the second thing I want to encourage you to do, this is permission, all right? All right. Ask a question. If something comes to mind and you're just dying, don't make comments. We, we, don't, you know, we don't need extra profits here. But what I'm saying is if you got a question, okay, Ella's going to show you. She's going to put her hand up just like in school or something. Watch. There it goes. So she puts her hand up, and that lets me know she has a question. And so what I'll do is say, shut up. But, I, no, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, when the time's right, I'm going to go, yes, ma'am. And she'll say, I, I got a question, X. You know, she, she gives us the question. And then I can respond to that. Because see, listen, we're brothers and sisters. We're admonishing and we're encouraging and we're learning in righteousness. And from time to time, you might have a great question. You may have a really dumb one, but I'm not going to treat you dumb. I'm going to answer your question. Here comes a dumb one. Yes, sir. Sososthenes. That's a good question. Paul has a co-worker by the name of Sososthenes. We suspect that Sososthenes was from Corinth or maybe Athens. Sososthenes is a Greek name, right? How many of you have ever thought Joe, Jane, Jill, Sososthenes when you're trying to think of what to name your kid? No. <laughs> you did? Excellent. Freak. But, but if that's what you're doing... <laughs> If that's what you're doing, chances are you're Greek. <laughs> that's not exactly, you know, a, a Libyan name. Oh, I've named my child Sosthenes, you did? I bet Ahmed, that makes a little more sense for your Libyan friends. But if you're an American, that's a weird name. And it was a weird name for a Roman. And so what, what is important is that Paul is working with Sosthenes to write the message to Corinth because Sosthenes probably came from Corinth to Ephesus or Rome where Paul was at the time. I don't want to argue where he was when he wrote it. That's just not down with that beef. But, but as they're writing it, Sosthenes is going to take the letter back home and say, okay, I told Paul <laughs> about what was going on here. And this is the lesser, the letter that he wrote. And as we spoke together and as we worked together on this, this is what we need to hear. That's who Sososthenes is. Um, and by the way, it's an important name to know because Paul mentions the man in Scripture. And if the name is mentioned in Scripture, it means you should know it and know what it's about. So that's a solid question. Way to go, Nick. That's exactly the kind of thing that can help us as a congregation as we move through it. Okay, fair enough? So if something's good, you get to go, yeah, yeah, amen, that'll work. Preach it, dude. Any, any of those things are great. Uh-huh, if that's where you're coming from. We're kind, of, we're kind of monochromatic in here, but if my brothers and sisters show up, you can, mm-hmm, that's good too. Love it, love it, love it. 
But what I want us to I want us to interact with the scripture, okay? I don't want you to just sit there and be in a theater just listening. Let's engage. Okay, so with that said, let's take a look at Corinth. Now, it is important when we look at Scripture that we begin to understand the culture to which it is written. We engage that culture because what it does is it helps us as people um, prevent the act of reading our own culture into it and making the assumption that um, the way we do it is the way they do it or the way we understand it is the way they understood it. How many of you have traveled abroad? By, by abroad, I don't mean to Illinois. I mean, you've, you've gone overseas into other cultures. You've been other places? Okay. Now, here Here's what's neat. I know Illinois is a different culture, but I'm just saying. If you've been other places, or maybe you were born other places, right? I like when the Winkies sit down here because I know I've got a cross-cultural experience I can work with. But if you've been other places, you've experienced other cultures, what you'll understand is people around the world, we don't always see things from exactly the same perspective, do we? It's the same thing we're looking at, but we're looking at it from different directions. It's the same event, but we see it from different understandings, okay? Those are called mores, and the moray or the culture that you were raised in or the subcultural idiom that you assume to be normative for everyone is not. You don't see things the same. Kim and I got blasted when we first went to Brazil, our very first trip. We just assumed, because most people looked a lot like us, and the city was first world, that everybody thought and acted the same. No, 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 no. The way a central Brazilian experiences the world and sees the world is not at all the way an American Texan sees and experiences the world. They approach the same information from different ways. Do you think it's possible okay, that a 2,000-year-gone culture of people in a city that doesn't exist the way it used to, that was in its third iteration at the time, might see the world differently through their Greek, Roman eyes in the ancient world than you and I do. Is that possible? Is that even fathomable? (laughs) Of course it is. So in order to engage the Scripture, you need to understand something about them. Without doing it, we do this thing called pretexting. And pretexting means we bring our assumption to the text and expect the text to fit our assumption. Right? You got that one, right? That's where that "Uh uh-huh should be coming in right now. We got to be really careful when we approach the scripture that we do so trying to understand the culture in which it was written and not superimpose our own culture onto it. Otherwise, we might miss what the real message there was. So we want to be careful that we don't approach with pretext because the text without context leads to pretext. So understand the context so you can do it. Let's get some context for Corinth, okay? Let's begin with that. Before 200 BC, the city of Corinth was a powerhouse of religion and commerce and culture and military power and money, money, money. I can't explain to you the level of incredible wealth that existed in Corinth. And here's why. Not only was their art world famous, the the, the pottery coming out of Corinth was unparalleled. The Peloponnesian art that we think of for ancient Greece, that's inspired by Corinth. Here's what else is going on. They have the Olympic Games, right? You've heard of the Olympic Games that that happened there in Olympus and and Athens and everything. Well, that happened every four years. Kind of like our winter summer game thing. Every second year, those games were in Corinth. So here's what's going on. You got the big Olympics that everybody's paying lots of attention to and everybody wants to be a part of. And then every other year, they're doing it in Corinth. 
and it's just as big a deal. Also, you've got all this wealth coming into Corinth, all the trading that happens from Egypt down in Alexandria, coming from from Africa, across the Mediterranean, from China and from India and from the Baltics. All that trade comes through this area and it comes to a port right out there on the Saronic Gulf in Corinth. And all these ships and all these trains, these wagon trains of, of stuff, all these caravans, they come right here to Corinth. And in Corinth, they offload them, and they get loaded up onto Roman ships heading over uh, to, to, to Italy today. Uh, they get loaded onto ships that are going to go across the Mediterranean now to Spain. They're loaded up onto caravans that are going to go north into Macedonia and into Europe. And this is this crossroads. And just like today, whenever there's the transfer and the moving of goods, there are taxes and, and there are import taxes. And, and during this time, the people who do the moving of the goods are making a portion. And the people who bring the goods, they make a profit when they sell it. And there's tariffs taken. Are you getting a sense of the cash that's trading hands? It's unbelievable money in Corinth. But here's the other thing. Imagine the cultural crossroads that's going on here. Okay, You've got people from Alexandria and all the, the, the exotic wisdoms and the cultures of Egypt are coming through here. And people coming from North Africa and Libya, and, and they're coming up and they're bringing their incredibly rich and diverse cultures. People from Europe are coming south, and people from the Baltics are coming, and, and Eastern Chinese and, and Korean and Japanese and, and Indian and Indonesian people from all those areas. They didn't call them those countries back then. I'm not that big a knob. I do understand that. But as they're coming, these caravans and these trains and these cultures are all making their way to Corinth. That's where they're all converging. That's amazing. Are you getting a sense of the diversity? So here's what happens with that kind of diversity and that kind of wealth. There's tears in the class structure and the social structure. The people who are owning the businesses that do the great trading, they have money and wealth like nobody else. Also in this culture are the athletes, the Olympians, okay? And, and in their culture, totally different than ours, of course, athletes end up with social voice. Why? Because they're that popular. And so let's see if we can get our minds around it. There's, there's this athlete, and he, year after year at the Olympics, he just outperforms everybody. His name is Chuck Conger. And now when you see Chuck arrive, you're like, that's the Chuck. And as he's walking by, you're like, no way. I'm going to do my hair like Chuck. I'm going to wear my clothes like Chuck. You know, green is keen, man. And wherever there's Chuck, you want to be like Chuck. And so what do people do? They go over and they want to get a picture by Chuck. And so they're like, stand there. Okay, okay. Ding, 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 I'm with Chuck. Okay. Now, also what's happening in Corinth is this incredible arts scene. You've heard of the Greek theater, right? The Greek theater have these people, uh, and they wear the different masks. That they're, they're called hypocrites in the positive, where they wear, they wear these masks and they play roles. And so these actors and actresses, they become incredibly popular and incredibly famous because they're just that good. And one of them is named Carissa Erickson. 
Okay, And Carissa is one of the greatest actresses of the ancient world. And so Carissa, she plays this one role as this character. People are like, oh my gosh, I totally believed that she was that incredibly poor, broken down coal miner's daughter, Loretta Lynn thing. And then she's really sold it. And then the next week she played another play. And she played this person who was incredibly wealthy, an aristocrat, and who was torn between two loves. And and I just totally believed it because it was Carissa. And Carissa's walking down the road one day and people are like, oh, and they went to see her and just hear, hey, Carissa, um, what do you think about this religion as opposed to this religion? She goes, well, as an actress, I'm perfectly qualified to speak to this issue of weight. And she begins to opine that people go, I'm with Carissa. And so we got, I'm with Carissa's and I'm with Chuck's and I'm with this and I'm with that and I'm with this. And this is how their culture is forming. And in the midst of it, all of these religions from around the world have their little outposts and their little embassies there. And people say, I'm with Dionysus, or, or, or I'm with Zeus, or I'm with Artemis, or, or I'm with... And so they identify in all these little places. You see how totally different it is from our culture? And so, and so as they do this, they find their identity and their friend group and their support network and who they say, I'm with. This is Corinth. But did you, did you catch something that, 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 I, that I said here? That's ancient Corinth. That Corinth didn't exist when Paul got there. It was already gone. It was over 200 years dead. Because as it turns out, in 146 BC, or 140 to 146 BC, again, if you're a historian, please don't throw stones. I'm not going to argue when it happened. It's just not my interest. Between 140 and 146, there's going to be this thing happens. The Achaean League are going to rise up as Greek city-states against Rome. Okay, the great days of Alexander are gone for the Greeks. And they're, they're trying to hang on to their image of what once was. And they're losing their power and their influence because of Rome and because of Egypt's resurgence during this time. And so what will happen now is these, these city-states are going to rise up against Rome and try to defy them. And Rome is going to say, that's enough. And Rome is going to send a general named Meminus. Meminus is a monster, but they're going to send Minimus to put down Meminus, to put down this Achaean League's rebellion, which is centered in Corinth. Meminus shows up, and Minimus is going to take a play from the Assyrians. He's going to go in like Azurbanipal or Tiglath-Pileser did so many years ago, and he's going to do a scorched earth, take no prisoners, absolutely monstrous policy of destruction so that nobody would ever even dream of opposing Rome again. Meminus is going to be the inspiration for a later general by the name of Titus, who is going to be the one that sacks Jerusalem. These two generals represent a level of inhumanity that makes ISIS look like a pooch. So into the Achaean Peninsula will come Meminus in 140 to 146, and he's going to destroy Corinth. He's not just going to destroy it. He's going to raise it to the dirt. He's going to kill everything, destroy and burn everything that's there. There's nothing left in Corinth. So all that wealth that we just talked about, that seemed, listen, at the time, it seemed like nothing could ever set this aside. It's an eternal kind of a thing. Meminus just goes, whoosh. And with an army that's argued over 100,000 cavalry, nothing survived. It's gone. In the ruins of Corinth, 
left by Mimenus and uh, against the Achaean League, when it's gone, years later, the only people living in that area were people with mental disabilities and what they referred to as the maniacs, demon-possessed or just the crazy of that ancient world would live amongst the ruins to where nobody wanted to go near Corinth for a couple of reasons. The, the, The lunatics that were there were not the ones you wanted to be around. And secondly, the very memory was still alive in people's minds of how bad it had been when Mimenus says, this is the end of your rebellion. But in 44... 44 AD, Julius Caesar will say it's time to rebuild. Julius Caesar will set about rebuilding the city of Corinth in a way that rivals the beauty of Rome itself. It became the most powerful, influential, wealthy, pivotal city east of the city of Rome itself. And Julius Caesar will begin this construction in 44, and by the time they get to around 30 BC, it is a city that rivaled the ancient splendor of Corinth before. And because human beings are human beings, here's what happens. The good old days, they always seem better the more you talk about them, don't they? Anybody ever do this? You talk about all the way it used to be. Oh, I remember back when, and it's always, always so wonderful when you talk about the way it was, but you tend to forget all the bad. Well, here's what happens. Corinth is rebuilt as if it was the good old days. The Romans will adopt all of these things that were part of the ancient Corinth, and they'll improve on them. They're going to make it bigger, better, faster, and finer. What they did to the level 8, we're going to do to volume 11. We're just going to be better at everything. And that was the city. That's the city that Paul would be writing to. The city that had tried to revive all the glory of the ancient Greeks. But it wasn't quite as well done. you know. But it was close. But it had all the power and the weight of Rome and the pride of Rome. The class systems, the athletes, the actors, the chucks, right? I'm with Chuck. I'm with Corinth. I'm with Paul. I'm with Apollos. And that's how they were behaving. Oh, I'm with this wealthy class. I'm with these poor classes. The wealthy and the poor don't interact. We do it on our own level. And so if we can understand that, brothers and sisters as Americans, we can see as we read the letters to the Corinthians how their culture and ours are just not that far separated. We live in a culture of unparalleled wealth. Influence is carried by those with money and power. Athletes and actors and actresses speak to the world, and you have people identifying with their way of thinking or their way, and culture can be swayed by some clown who thinks they're qualified, making a political statement, and people follow them. And some fool who's simply an actor makes a statement about philosophy or God, and people go, yeah, I'm with that, and they follow her. Or some teacher in a, in a university somewhere teaches some absurd cultural theory, and people go, yeah, I'm with them. And it's the same thing today as it was. You know why? You know why? Can you hear the Ecclesiastes? What did he say? There's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. Vanity. What was is what is. Friends and neighbors, as we engage Corinthians, we are going to constantly be reminded that what was is what is. And here's why it matters. The message of Paul and Sosthenes to the church in Corinth is the message to the church in Sturgeon Bay.